Good morning. It's seven minutes after 10 o'clock. Glad to have you with us. Uh, Brian Hansen, uh, engineer and pushing the buttons. Brian, I don't know why we bother bringing uh, Professor Sabrin I was on the thinking program. the exact same thing. I mean, we got Paul Krugman. Uh, he is a Nobel economist. Yeah, he is the greatest economist that ever lived. Oh, I, I am so impressed by this guy. He, he posted uh, last week that um, the war on inflation is over. Uh-huh. We won at very little cost. And all he had to do to achieve this victory was, in the metric... Eliminate food, energy, housing, and used cars. <laughs> I mean, that's brilliant, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> uh, we could go further and eliminate everything, and then uh, we could have zero inflation. I don't think Professor Sabrin would, would buy into that. He doesn't agree with that? I don't think so. Huh. Professor Murray Sabrin, Professor Emeritus Ramapo College, good morning. Good morning, Gary. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, uh, Paul Krugman, who I met when he spoke around Paul College many years ago, and I wrote an article about it at the Mises Institute. Uh, uh, Krugman is a very smart guy, but uh, he's not that good an economist. That's the bottom line, because uh, when he makes a statement like that, that inflation is is, uh, over, uh, he just doesn't know what he's talking about, because why is the average person feeling so bad? Because they realize that their incomes are not keeping up with it. Uh, uh, rise in prices. So uh, Krugman does not live in the real world. He lives in, a, in an academic bubble with the New York Times, and uh, she go out and, and check the prices of things that people actually buy, and, and they see, we'll see that uh, things are going up in price, maybe not as uh, fast as they were uh, a year and a half ago, but they're still going up at substantial rates. And the other thing that I think is happening is that the quality of products are going down, and that is also a, sort of a, a stealth inflation because the quality is going down. That means you're paying more for less goods, uh, quality goods, and so that uh, hurts your uh, living standards as well. Yeah, quantity is going down too. Uh, there are fewer M and M's in every bag, of, uh, smaller uh, Mars yeah, bars yeah. in every package. Chris Martinson yeah. is an economic researcher at the f- uh, and the founder of a, a group called Peak Prosperity, and he he wrote about Paul Krugman. He's right. Paul Krugman is right. And it pains me to say that because he's usually wrong. He goes on to say, I re-ran his numbers, making a few more exclusions, and it turns out inflation's actually 0%. Uh, well, it's like saying if we never get sick, we'll live forever. I mean, yeah. Or um, or if we, uh, if we just discount uh, cancer, heart disease, and stroke, uh, and diabetes... Uh, people are in good health. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, that's how absurd what he's saying. It's, uh, and this is why the down profession really doesn't have a good, um, uh, I think, image. Because they've told us uh, how wonderful things are if the government just keeps on spending and uh, the Federal Reserve keeps on printing money and the, uh, all the government agencies keep on regulating the economy. We'll reach Nirvana. And uh, I've been looking at the economy now for more than 50 years. And uh, every time the government does something, things get worse. Yeah, um, and yet it's Bidenomics, and he's trying to turn it into something good. I don't think anybody's buying it. And and, and inflation is continuing to go up. It's not like it's gone down. It continues to go up, just not up as fast as it was going before. And it's on top of the already high prices. And now it turns out that salaries aren't keeping up. They're actually losing more ground. 
Uh, I just, there's no question about yeah. There's no question about it. I mean, the average person who's seeing automobile insurance rates go up, uh, homeowners insurance rates go up, um, uh, utility bills going up. It's just across the board. Um, and the only things that seem to be going down are the high tech items. I mean, uh, TVs and other high tech items. They keep on going down in price uh, because of the great productivity you have in that sector and competition. But uh, automobile prices are really sky high. I mean, I just saw a chart the other day that the average price of an automobile sold in America today is about $50,000. And uh, that's a vehicle. I, I guess it includes uh, pickup trucks and SUVs, which are really sky high, and uh, electric vehicles. Uh, so the average person is, is really feeling the pinch of uh, higher tax than higher uh, prices. Uh, real estate doesn't seem to be doing real well right now. Um, it, it, it seems like we're just slowly, you know, drying up the economy. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Uh, they, they won't stop spending. They won't quit no. paying for college educations uh, or sending arms and ammunition all over the world. So I don't see any quick ending to this. Well, what no, no one tells you on, on the talking heads on TV is that every dollar that the federal government is now borrowing to pay for uh, Ukraine, and now uh, Israel, as Biden just announced this morning, there's going to be a, a huge aid package to Israel. People, you know, people don't realize that every dollar that is now being spent on, on these uh, foreign interventions, uh, the cost of that will be infinite. Because every dollar that's borrowed will never be paid back, plus you're paying interest on it for as long as the eye can see. So the American people uh, just uh, have this cognitive dissonance about what's going on with the federal uh, dollars, uh, which are their, really their dollars that are being devalued by the Fed. And, um, and interest rates are going to stay at very high levels because uh, the amount of debt that the federal government will be issuing over the next several years will be astronomical. It'll dwarf anything in human history. And so uh, uh, there's no path but up higher interest rates over the long term because uh, who's going to be buying this debt? That's the $64,000 question. If the major international buyers start withdrawing, China, Japan, uh, Russia, the uh, OPEC nations, um, who's going to buy this debt? And if the Federal Reserve buys the debt, we know what... what that will cause that'll cause massive increases in the money supply, which means massive inflation. It's not under control. U.S. federal deficit rose one point seven trillion dollars in fiscal year twenty three, yeah. uh, the third highest year on record. It and, just... and this is supposedly in a great economy, according to Biden. So I mean, uh, so the federal revenue is drying up. Um, uh, well, states are seeing the pinch also because they've expanded their expenditures, but yet the revenue is, is declining. Um, so there's going to be fiscal crises and fiscal crises, I think, as far as the eye can see, because the federal government and, uh, and state governments are running out of money to pay their bills. And that's why uh, people are hunkering down. And um, on the other hand, there are some people that are spending like crazy because they'd rather have the goods and keeping the money in a in savings account. Uh, and, but today, of course, we can get a fairly decent interest on in our savings accounts as opposed to two years ago when we were getting zero. Today we can get 4 5% on our savings accounts, which is better than, uh, than nothing. But still, uh, it, it's just an insult to the American people what 
what uh, the federal government and the Federal Reserve have done to our finances. And uh, the only people that are um, that are um, uh, laughing on all the way to the bank is the military industrial complex and all the people uh, and businesses that uh, get all these grants and subsidies from the federal government. Can we um, can we afford to to uh, continue to send this, these arms and ammunition overseas? Or is it uh, is it a, are we at a critical stage with this debt? Or do you think? Oh, there's no question. Yeah, there's no question about it, Gary. I, I, th- I think reading financial history and economic history that the federal government is at the point of no return. That unless spending is really cut back. Substantially, which is what happened, by the way, after World War One and World War Two, where the federal budget went down fifty percent or more because of um, because of all the uh, peace that broke out. But now you have all this huge entitlement: Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and all the other programs. Um, and of course, we have this huge military-industrial complex. There's no way spending is going down, and therefore, uh, the borrowing by the federal government for the fiscal year that just began October first and ends next September could be a two and a half to three trillion dollars depends on how how strong or weak the economy is over the next 12 months unbelievable professor murray sabrin you can find him at substack and he has uh kind of a prolific author you've written several books i've got your latest one uh, and you're going to be make, doing a speaking engagement somewhere in florida right yeah, November 4th, the Mises Institute uh, is having their um, uh, uh, Mises Circle. There'll be four economists speaking, including myself, about uh, what to expect in 2024. I'll be going further and talking about what I think is going to happen for the rest of the decade. So I'm putting together my presentation over the next few days. And uh, people go to Mises.org, and if they're in the southwest Florida area, they can sign up. Um, it'll be a catered lunch, and it'll be a wonderful time to uh, meet uh, some of the top economists uh, in the country, affiliate with the Mises Institute, and network with people uh, of like-minded views in, in terms of uh, free markets and uh, and uh, limited government. Yeah, if you're not familiar with the Mises Institute uh, and you're a fiscal conservative, uh, you you really need to uh, you really need to go there and and see what they have because it is really uh, really impressive. Uh, and by the way, is Tom Woods going to be there? Uh, not that I know of. He's not one of the speakers. Uh, hopefully he'll be uh, at an event sometime in the future. Uh, but he's doing great work at his website, TomWoods.com. Uh, uh, he does great podcasts. I've been on several of them over the years. And uh, he has a new book coming out on COVID. So uh, he's done great work as, a, as a, an economist, historian, entrepreneur to get the message out. And he interviews uh, uh, experts from all over the world on his podcast. I, I urge your readers to go to Mises.org, uh, TomWoods.com, and, uh, and my Substack column. And that's the trifecta that people need. I agree. i got to get Tom Woods on the program. All right. Yeah. Uh, Professor, thank you for being with us. Great to be with you, Gary. See you next week. All right. It's a deal. Uh, all right. We talked earlier in the program, if you missed it, about how to avoid uh, perhaps uh, dementia. And apparently, uh, we got a guy that <laughs> that is well. He's taking it to the next level. Uh, I'll explain the whole thing next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. Good morning. Twenty-two minutes after ten o'clock. Glad to have you with us. And uh, if you just joined us, I, w- I will point out that we opened the show uh, with a recent study that indicated if you wanted to stave off 
uh, Alzheimer's uh, and dementia, that perhaps the secret to doing so was to have an active sex life. Uh, they, they looked this over and uh, did some studies, and this is what they concluded. So people scoffed at that. They laughed at that, but I said it could come in handy. Uh, for instance, if, uh, like Theodore uh, Morgavan, um, you get caught in Arkansas, you, you can actually say, look, I was just, I was just trying to s stave off dementia. Uh, I don't know how well it would work in, in his case. Apparently, a, a, a sheriff's deputy uh, noted a vehicle that was rocking at uh, 1245 in the morning. And when the cop looked inside the car, <laughs> he saw Theodore Morgavan, uh, 55, uh, having sex with a, uh, a stuffed animal. Do <laughs> <laughs> stuffed animals count <laughs> for the dementia thing? If it's... <laughs> <laughs> if it's satisfying, I, I guess. <laughs> uh, he's a divorced father of three. He's 55 years old. Now, ordinary, ordinarily, he'd have a hard time explaining what the hell is going on, right? He's caught with his pants down, so to speak. But now he can say, look, I, I felt uh, that uh, I was losing grip, uh, a little dementia <laughs> setting in. And there was this stuffed animal, and <laughs> and she was just begging for it. <laughs> Oh, oh my boy! God, talk about embarrassing! Oh man, uh, how People do you do look? The any... Stupidest things. Yeah, at this point, you got to move out of the country somewhere. Yeah. Now, where do you? How do you face your neighbors? <laughs> Every one of your neighbors will look at you like, "What the hell is the matter with you? What a pervert!" But apparently, that's what he was doing. He was doing the nasty with a stuffed animal. Excuse me. Um. Since he was uh, on probation, the cops were able to search him uh, and his car without the need for a warrant. I don't know what else they could be looking for. I, I, can you imagine? I know we've got law enforcement to listen to the program. Can you imagine the, <laughs> the cop? Can you imagine being the cop who looks in the window and sees oh, this oh guy? Boy. Why did I stop? Stuff? Why me? <laughs> Couldn't have been my partner. Somebody else. <laughs> Would you almost be tempted to just walk away and go, no, no, let somebody else handle this? Perhaps, yeah. Or how would you handle it without laughing your butt off at this guy? Uh, you know, it's a tough enough job uh, being in law enforcement without having to confront some guy with his Johnson out and uh, doing, a stuffed, doing a stuffed doll. Uh, the story is that the smoking gun uh, it is real. I'm I'm not kidding. Uh, and it's uh, just another sign that we're going a little crazy in this country. We are. We are going a lot of crazy. Uh, 874-9390, toll-free numbers 800-529-5572. Activists are uh, upset at Clemson, the university, Clemson University. And Brian, when you hear why they're upset, you will certainly understand. Okay. All right. Apparently, in the men's restrooms, they have removed the tampon dispensers. Oh, yeah, you can't do oh, that. Uh -huh. I would be up and I'd be out parading around with yeah. signs. Um, gender activists at Clemson State protested the removal of tampon dispensers 
from the men's restroom at the school, which occurred after their installation was brought to light by the school's chapter of college Republicans. Uh, the uh, college Republicans initially uh, brought the installation of the uh, dispensers to light in a tweet uh, on September 13th. So, and, and you know how often, Brian, uh, you, you're, you're in there and you're looking for a, a tampon dispenser right, and yeah. you can't find one. Boy, I, I'd be out parading oh, on that yes, one. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's crazy. <laughs> these universities, are these they're turning out imbeciles. Sharon is on in Columbia. Good morning, Sharon. Yes, Gary, the guy that got caught uh, doing the stuffed animal. Yeah, <laughs> doing the stuffed animal. <laughs> well, I heard a similar story about a cop catching a guy in a car doing a box of pastries. And what they charged with was doing donuts in his car. You know how oh. you do donuts? Oh, oh. oh. I see what you did there, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the dirty jokes I can think of to go from there, but I won't. Sharon, thank you for the call. Glad to have you with us. Oh, Brian, during the break, we're going to have to have some, <laughs> some yeah, fun no. with that. What kind of donuts were they? <laughs> oh, boy. No, we're not going there. <laughs> Oh, boy. Oh, this is so crazy. Uh, all right. Uh, the uh, Epic uh, newspaper uh, should be making an appearance here in uh, about three or four minutes. And uh, we'll find out what's on their mind. I think it has to do with veterans. We'll find out at about 1035. The telephone number here is, uh, and, and I can't imagine why anybody want to want to call after that last segment. But if you do... <laughs> 800-529-5572 or 874-9390. You also have the option of just going to uh, GaryNolan.com and uh, sending me a message, and it will pop up right here in studio. Uh, let's see what Ken says. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, uh, not if the neighbors were woke. It would, you know, I said if this guy in Arkansas... Uh, had to, to face his neighbors, uh, he'd be so embarrassed. What would they be thinking? Uh, they'd be thinking he's crazy. And Ken says, no, not if, not if the neighbors were woke. They'd be asking what the proper pronouns are for the stuffed animal. Oh, that's terrible. Uh, you should consider that the study about sex life and dementia has reversed correlation causation. Having a good sex life is a symptom of good relationships physical health and mental health, having a good and healthy life is what reduced the risk of dementia, not sex. You can read it any way you want, Anson, but I'm taking this as um, uh, the sex thing is, is good for dementia. It just, it's just much more fun that way. Oh, oh God. Any, uh, any other weird stories, Brian, that you've found? This is apparently the segment of the program where we do this. Uh, <laughs> I have not on it. I have not encountered any uh, really strange stories like you found today. Yeah, of course, I, you search some very unusual sites. Uh, oh, the, uh, this the engineering the alarms go off every time <laughs> you come in the building. <laughs> uh, who's got computer thirty-seven? Oh, right. that's Nolan. Yeah, it was just show prep. That's all. Just show prep. All right, so uh, the men's rooms in Clemson no longer have uh, tampon dispensers. Yeah, I guess you'll have to go to the ladies' room if you really, really need one. Biden's missteps. 
Have you tried getting a home improvement loan? This is the Gary Nolan Show. It is 1035. Glad to have you with us. Uh, and, you know, I was just talking a little while ago about trusted news sources. And I, I pointed out that, uh, you know, the, the CNN thing with the fake audio and uh, all these other crazy left-leaning uh, news organizations. And that even Fox uh, troubles me. If you, but I, I really do think one of the best sources of news is the Epic Times. And uh, we have them on uh, every week. And we have Andrew uh, Thornbrook on with us now. He's the national security reporter for Epic. And uh, he's been following what's going on in the Middle East uh, with the uh, Israeli-Hamas war. Uh, so let me, uh, let me just jump right in here. Andrew, what, uh, you know, what do you make of all this, uh, especially the fact that they were able to, to organize and pull this off without anybody knowing? And welcome to the program. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me, Gary. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yeah, you know, this is, this is a big deal. It's, uh, it's threatening the entire region. If at any point we have elements from Iran or, you know, from the Palestinian territories or Syria or Lebanon or Jordan come in and try to uh, join this conflict, it could quickly escalate throughout the entire region and possibly the globe. Um, as to how this got pulled off without us knowing, there's a lot of things we, we don't currently know that we used to believe we knew about Hamas. And one is the extent of training and funding they're getting from proxies like Iran, how they're getting that. We, we've typically always known, of course, that they smuggle in rockets and or parts for rockets or tunnels and these sorts of things. But the sheer scale of it uh, is a problem. And there's also been uh, an enormous proliferation in open source intelligence. You know, I, I know a lot was made early on about Hamas having detailed maps, for instance, about uh, these Israeli towns. But the fact is, virtually anyone can get that information on Google with a few clicks. So I think we are seeing both the rise of uh, a more state-sponsored Hamas, but also uh, some of the consequences of the proliferation of information in our era. It, it appears, Andrew, that no matter what Israel does... Uh, they're going to get painted in a bad light. It, it, if they don't respond, then then these uh, terrorists have gotten away with it, and they'll continue to do it. You've got to respond. If you respond, they've found a way to paint Israel as viciously over-responding. Uh, and, and even taking advantage of this, uh, this bomb that dropped in a parking lot, a missile that dropped in a parking lot of a hospital... Even though we've got the audio of these uh, two Palestinians uh, pointing out that it was their own missile, the word has spread that Israel bombed a hospital. Uh, it seems like no matter what they do, they just can't win. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of bad blood, and I think that's one thing that uh, Western observers often have failed, perhaps until now, to, to really comprehend is just how pervasive uh this sort of sense of anti-Semitism has become in a lot of the Arab world over the, the recent decades. Um, one of the key problems, of course, with the Palestinian territories, particularly Gaza, is the type of Palestinian so-called liberation that Hamas espouses. So Hamas, which has basically ruled Gaza with an iron fist since 2006, 
espouses an explicitly genocidal understanding of what it means to have a Palestine in which they believe there can be no free, independent Palestine until Israel is destroyed. And so you've had these sort of memes proliferating throughout the Arab community for a long time, and they're gaining traction, and it, it certainly doesn't help that so much media nowadays is very eager to tell an underdog story or jump on a bandwagon when they see, you know, a hospital explosion and a terrible tragedy like we saw yesterday. I, I don't know how many headlines I saw from CNN to Politico run the headline that Israel bombed the hospital before having to change it. And of course, by then the damage is done. So I think uh, media uh, in our own country obviously plays a role in this problem as well. My theory right from the get-go, and I wasn't alone in this, I know that others came up with the same theory, was uh, to stop MBS and Israel from working together, that the Abraham Accords and, and uh, recent developments in the Middle East have sort of isolated Iran, and that this would be a great way uh, to kind of uh, throw an obstacle in the way. Have you seen any evidence that this was part of the motive, or do you think it was just purely, you know, radical Palestinians hating on Israel? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely uh, a midway point between those two. You know, there, there's certainly the issue of normalization and relations, particularly between Israel and Saudi Arabia, but even that is a really contentious point in Saudi Arabia, for example. So while the Abraham Accords were, were quite embraced uh, by leadership there. I mean, we had a poll just last year, I think it was, that uh, something like 98% of the actual people of Saudi Arabia did not want normalized relations with Israel. So there's a huge popular pushback against Israel. Um, we see this in Jordan just a few days ago. The king of Jordan had to send riot police against thousands of his own people to uh, prevent them from marching into the West Bank and attacking Israeli soldiers. Um, so, so that's a, a key issue. If you just turn the radio on, Andrew Thornbrook is on with us. He is the national security reporter for the Epic Times. Why, Andrew, have uh, the Egyptians and uh, the Lebanese and the Syrians and all of these other people, why have they not welcomed the Palestinians with open arms? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. The first is most of the leadership, if or if not the leadership in these countries, at least the people, really want to see uh, a recognized Palestinian nation, not just a state. So the UN does recognize uh, a Palestinian state, but not not a nation state. Um, they, they want they essentially consider the fleeing of uh, the Gazans to be. Uh, giving up on that dream. I think we just had a, a comment from Jordanian King this morning, essentially saying that one of the reasons he canceled his meeting with Biden was because the Palestinians need to stay in Palestine to realize their vision of liberty. Um, there's also much more mundane and pragmatic issues here uh, concerning Egypt. So Egypt which originally had Gaza, which it was Egypt that uh, Israel took Gaza from uh, in 67, and after that brief war, Egypt actually didn't want Gaza back, and Egypt now doesn't have the money or the will to settle all of these refugees. Um, so there's just a key issue here is that Egypt uh, 
doesn't want to have this huge influx of potentially, uh, you know, uh, of refugees that could potentially harbor uh, Hamas terrorists. Is there, uh, yeah, this is where I'm going to go with, too. Is it, is it possible they're just concerned that they'll launch attacks from their countries and they don't want to have to deal with it? Oh, yeah. So, so Egypt definitely, uh, I mean, Egypt has a, a very interesting role here to play in maintaining balance with the other regional powers. You know, obviously they're not on Israel's side, but they're also not firmly against Israel and they're certainly not pro Hamas. Um, and, and so they really have to be mindful of their own national security. You know, it's easy for us 6,000 miles away to say, oh, I'll just accept the refugees so Israel can go wreck Gaza. Uh, unfortunately for the Egyptians, it's not so easy a decision. And there's also a, a certain argument um, that you hear among some particularly Arab analysts um, that if they were to accept all these refugees, it would essentially be a green light for Israel to go in and, and decimate uh, Gaza. Last question, and I'm not sure if this is in your milieu or not, but here in the United States, and, and I really did, I think there's a balance here. I think uh, neither side is 100% innocent, uh, but I do side, obviously, with Israel. Um, but we in this country have this huge group, mostly of students, young people, who are so rabidly anti-Israel. Where do you think that comes from? How do you how did that manifest itself here when for decades, Andrew, we have considered Israel an ally? Yeah, well, I really think it has to do with uh, a lot of the popular culture. You know, so for the last several years, particularly since. George Floyd, uh, I mean, we've had very prominent lawmakers, uh, particularly the squad, explicitly uh, compare the plight of Palestinians to uh, blacks in America. So there's a lot of harmful rhetoric for just surrounding those sorts of discussions. There's also, I think, a misunderstanding of the history of Palestine. You know, there, there's this sort of popular idea you see everywhere about occupied Palestine. Israel hasn't occupied Palestine since 2005, and before that, it, it, there was never a, a Palestinian nation, so to speak, that simply has never existed. Um, and so you start getting into this weird, into these weeds, crisscrossing the, the who's owned Palestine since when, and eventually you've gone through 5,000 years of Jewish history. Uh, so, so I think there's just really a lack of understanding of how complex the history of the region is, uh, why so many people have suffered there for so long. You know, it's, it's not simply an issue of Israel's bad and do doesn't want people to have good things in Gaza. Of course, you know, you have these terrible organizations like Hamas that have come to power uh, quite brutally. And I think we just need to do better in our country with engaging in open dialogue about these things and being patient with uh, our young people at colleges and, and trying to have these difficult conversations. Because if we don't have the conversations, uh, it will come to our streets, essentially, and we'll be having the same problems that Germany's having now, and we'll have violence of our own. All right, from the Epic Times, Andrew Thornbrook. Uh, it is the uh, newspaper of choice here, and he has done some Terrific writing about uh, what's going on in the Middle East and uh, other uh, uh, other columns as well. Andrew, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Garrett. It's a pleasure. All right. Take care. Andrew Thornbrook, 
the Epic Times, just how similar are Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden's administrations? You're going to find this pretty, I, I mean, Brian and I were both stunned at this. Similarities are hard to, hard to believe. That's next on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It's uh, 52 minutes after 10 o'clock. Glad to have you with us. There are some remarkable similarities between Jimmy Carter and Joe Biden. For instance, they both started off with pretty high ratings. And uh, by the end of, you know, three years, the, those ratings tumbled. Uh, the same is true for Joe Biden as it was uh, for Jimmy Carter. Then there were hostages in the Middle East. Jimmy Carter had hostages that were being held in Iran, and uh, he didn't get their release. And then he had that military mission, uh, and I remember this, sand got in the helicopters. Uh, it was just, what a mess. Um, so his you know, foreign policy turned out to be just a little, a little lacking. Uh, they both have uh, runaway inflation. Uh, like Biden, Carter uh, was already in trouble when the hostage crisis occurred, uh, which is, uh, the, you know, a parallel. Then Jimmy Carter faced a primary battle, and it was from a, a fellow Democrat, a Kennedy, I might add, Ted Kennedy. <laughs> and now Robert Kennedy uh, has been challenging uh, Joe Biden. I mean, the similarities... Weird, isn't it? It's remarkable. Um, and, and you know, if I'm if I'm working for the Biden reelection campaign and looking at this, I I got to be thinking, oh boy, we are in trouble plenty, and we're not going to be doing any helicopter rescues, right? Uh, and I don't think so. No, that wouldn't I, be a good idea. Not a good idea. Um, the the, uh, the parallels are pretty devastating. One thing I will, I'm going to come to Jimmy Carter's uh, defense here on one issue, and that's the price of oil. Because OPEC uh, started, uh, you know, driving up the prices of oil. Uh, that was part of the inflation problem. Not all of it, but a little part of it. And Jimmy Carter actually tried to uh, deregulate the oil industry to offset that. He may have been a little slow on the uptake, but he was on he was on the right course. He was doing the right thing. I can't think of anything else he did that I liked, but he was on the right path there. Uh, so does this uh, does this portend uh, bad things for the Biden administration? Well, I think so. I think so. He's making the same mistakes, going down the same road. Uh, it is uh, it is amazing just how many similarities there are in the two races. I I don't uh, I don't see him turning this around, and, and you know and he's been trying for months to turn around Bidenomics. He takes what appears on the surface to be good news, and says, "See what a good boy am I." But when you dig down, you find out it's it's not even good news. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, if you find out that retail sales are are suddenly spiking, Biden will come out and say, see, what a good boy am I. Sales are working. People are buying things. You dig a little deeper and you realize that 
in spite of people making less money uh, and, and buying more expensive goods on top of that, that it is purely inflation that's affecting them, that we have this huge increase in bankruptcies, and that the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates. But he doesn't see that. What he touts as good news in the long run is actually bad news. Uh, Jimmy Carter, when during the hostage crisis, suspended campaigning, uh, and he focused on the, 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 the captive Americans. One of his aides at the time, uh, Stuart Eisenstadt, wrote that the Carter so-called Rose Garden strategy personalized the crisis in the American media by focusing the responsibility on the Oval Office and showing terrorists that they could put the American presidency itself into dysfunction. Which the author of this column uh, suggests is why Biden is choosing to keep up his campaigning. But his behavior is unseemly. This, it's just one compounding thing after another. It, it just doesn't stop. And maybe part of it is bad luck, but most of it is the result of decisions made by Biden and his administration. Oil prices, gasoline should be a fraction of what it is. But because he's curtailing uh, our, our uh, uh, sale or, or drilling and, and refining, he's made it a problem that OPEC uh, has been given control to. We could be selling our oil everywhere and making a ton of money, stimulating the economy, and frankly, making it very difficult for the people that the administration says, wait, well, hey, they're our enemies. We could be making it very difficult for them to sell their oil and fund their, their terrorism. Instead, we're going down the road of battery-powered cars, which, frankly, is going to make someone else that we consider our enemy wealthier, communist China. I've never seen a guy who could get so much so wrong so often. And yet, he does. And he thinks he should be the next president. Again, he thinks re-election is something that he can accomplish. <sighs> All right. Uh, coming up in the next segment of the program, Columbia Public Schools will reevaluate a policy on participation at board meetings. What is that all about? Gary Nolan shows Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show 